Welcome to the new TV Gold podcast from Media Week's Andrew Mercado and James Manning, a podcast for people who love great television. On this episode of TV Gold, we'll be digging for some TV Gold amongst these shows, a Millie Vanilli documentary on Paramount+. Plus. Boiling Point, a spin-off of the, I guess you call it a hit movie, on BBC First. Uh, a drama on 7 Plus, A Friend of the Family. Sort of a horror, yeah, horror show you could call it. Andrew will tell us about that in a minute. Night Bloomers, SBS On Demand. And Australian Epic, which, mm, a musical doco on ABC TV. So a really diverse range of content there. Welcome back, Andrew Mercado. And we might start with Millie Vanilli. Yeah, why don't we? Here we go again. Another doco about recent history and history that you and I are really interested in, which is pop music. And I lived through the Millie Vanilli thing. And, and then you see a documentary like this with a few years retrospective and you go, wow. I totally was looking at that the wrong way. There's a whole other way to look at this. And I think it's really fascinating to see the way that everyone turned on those two singers and blamed them for it, while the guy who was responsible for it all walked away scot-free and made all the money. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, I guess it. when you say scot-free, I guess it's it's hardly something you could get busted for is it but but you mean his reputation was sort of scot free his, or? he did his reputation didn't seem to suffer did it i mean ultimately the 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 producer who asked those guys to lip sync and he created the the lie he kind of didn't really he continues to get the royalties from the songs as they sell and even with this doco everyone will rush back to listen to that album again i mean he's the producer of boney m those are great songs they're always great songs uh yeah but he continues to make a lot of money he basically threw that through those guys under the bus um and made them the the patsies for it it was it was it a similar thing with boney m they didn't really sing on their songs either did they the they didn't no and they didn't. You wonder in the age of AI, just how big a crime was it back then to to do what's, you know, probably be a bit more prevalent these days. But I guess they don't people don't pretend it's they if they do create a sort of a I don't know, an artificial music act, they don't pretend there's real people fronting it, which is I guess the difference. Yeah, well, I've got to admit that I never ever had that big a problem with Millie Vanilli anyway. To me it was just like this was just one more step of at the time there was all that talk that, you know, people were being auto-tuned corrected in the recording studio and all and all of that. And you know, we'd we'd seen examples of people that couldn't sing their songs live when they went on the road and all that. I mean we saw all that a lot. So to me it just felt like oh it's just another one of those cases. I mean, I knew that Black Box and there were a whole bunch of groups where they were using models for the video and the poor real singer who didn't fit the, oh, we want some skinny girl for the music video, she was hidden away out of sight. So I was never ever really that shocked by Millie Vanilli, but I'm shocked to look back on it now. The producer we're talking about is um, Frank Farian, who yep. we see a lot in the documentary I, I guess it's him, isn't it? There's film of him, but they've obviously shot for this, but he never really speaks, does he? Well, he refuses to comment, yeah. um, which is very interesting. But it's it's interesting that his assistant, his former lover, former yeah. production assistant, she seems to speak quite openly around it. And, uh, yeah, 
yeah, he, he knows that he didn't participate in this documentary because he knew ultimately that he was going to come off looking not so great. Uh, so, yeah, of course he wasn't going to participate in it. Well, he participated. He let them film him because there's stuff. Did they? Huh? I thought that was just old stock footage they used of him in that. I thought he you refused think it looked comment. pretty current. I mean, he looked quite elderly. No, I reckon they're taking okay. news footage of him. If he if he isn't going to comment, which was the tagline at the end of it, then he isn't giving them permission to film him too. That would just all be news footage or stock footage of him from other outlets that they've bought to show us what okay. he looks like. Yeah, well, it was <laughs> it looked good access anyway. The um, the and of course the the key. The key footage is around the the interviews they have with Fab, uh, yeah. Fabrice Morvan, who was still alive. Of course, his partner Rob died in 1998, uh, a suspected drug overdose. Um, yeah, that's sort of all quite sad. Um, but he ha- gives you fantastic insights into what what happens uh, along their journey, and he talks about you know. Uh, that they they didn't really seem to know what was going on when it all started, and and it came to a point where there's one telling moment. He says, "From that point on, we embraced the lie." Yeah. So they did realise, but beforehand they weren't sure what was going on. But then they thought, "Oh, okay, this is all happening. I guess financial <laughs> rewards had something to do with embracing that lie." Um, and that was about the time they. They broke big in the US. I think they they got a number two hit, and it really turned things around internationally for them. I thought, well, look, the English wasn't their first language. You know, yeah, they, they didn't know what was going on a lot of the time. But I thought it was really interesting seeing the footage of them back then and seeing um, how haunted that Fab looked a lot of the time in those press conferences when he was living the big lie. You could see the look on his face that he he always seemed deeply uncomfortable to me in so many of those reaction shots. Uh the, there's a there's a lot of interesting interviews here, not least of which is with the record company executives, both in Europe and uh, some of the American ones, and they yep. talk about you know the top secret operation, you know sneaking in and out of recording studio, studios. They talk to yeah. the people who actually sang uh, on the records. Um, some of the clips ever assembled are amazing, in, including a couple from a Steve Visard show, which, I was, know. which was pretty interesting. I, um, I actually thought there was a lot of clips from Australian news services in there. It was interesting every time they wanted to show how the world was re- reacting to it. I saw Jennifer Kite in there reading Channel 10 Melbourne News and all of that, and, and they were taking people from me- media clips from all over the place. And there's a fascinating footage of when it all started to sort of unfurl, there was a gig where there was the backing tape malfunction. Yeah, go on. And they've got footage of that and it just gets stuck and it goes da-da-da-da-da-da. And the guys look at each other. They don't know what to do. They pretend to keep singing and then they quietly disappear off the stage. Yeah. Um, uh, for a lot of people, even a lot of people seem to be putting up with this in the industry, but a lot say it was really a bridge too far when they were nominated and subsequently won a Grammy. 
And I love the story that they were nominated by an employee who thought he was doing the right thing. And then when the nomination got through, they yelled at him, said, what are you doing, you idiot? Um, yeah, they should have never, that should never, ever have been allowed to go through with it. You're right. That is a step too far. You can fake a pop, pop act, but don't accept the best award going for it, the Grammy Awards. And particularly when you saw those other artists that were nominated alongside them that year for Best New Act, it was really an insult that they won for lip syncing. And then, um, I mean, there's lots of great stuff in this, but the other thing that really sticks with me is the press conference they have after everything's oh. been revealed about, oh. you know, and they sort of go out and they someone had a good idea and said, look, why don't we just go and talk to the media? We'll explain what we've been doing. Just be upfront about it all. And it just goes completely off the rails. It's just oh my God. almost embarrassing was- to watch, isn't it? Yeah, the media was so vicious. It was literally like the media like were like fans screaming at them. I don't think I've ever seen a press conference like that. Such aggression coming from the crowd. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an amazing thing. I mean, it's it's really well done. It's about an hour and forty minutes. Um, and it and just where did we really... watch it, James? Paramount Plus. Yeah, Paramount Plus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if you ever came in touch with Milli Vanilli at. Um, we, in your TV days, but I was I was still at Smash Hits towards the end of when Millie Vanilli were quite big, and I remember they did a press tour to Sydney, and myself and my then colleague Mark Andrews, who spent a lot of time with me at Smash Hits, we they did a um they did some press interviews strangely on a boat at Middle Harbour in Sydney. Yeah, the boat was moored. It was like in the marina, and we went down. Mark actually did the interview. I went with him. I think we had a photographer. I'm not quite sure, but that's my only sort of recollection. We we put them in the magazine a lot um, yep. in the early days because they were obviously, you know, a big. They were important for our readers. I think they, you know, really identified. They had that the dreadlock look and they all those dance moves and and the music wasn't bad. I didn't. I quite enjoyed the music. It was okay. You know, I'm going to download the album and listen to it again. Yeah, that song, it's been, it's been going through my head. It, like, slipped away for a couple of days. But last night I was singing Millie Vanilli in my head and I thought I need to download that album and listen to it from start to finish again. Which one was it? Blame It on the Rain? Is that the song? Uh, that one uh, and the other one, there's another song. Um, that They're two big songs that both stuck in my yeah. head. Yeah, I think Diane Warren actually wrote Blame It on the Rain. And it's interesting that on the album credits, um, Rob and Fab are not listed on the original album credits. When the clue was right Europe. there, right? But but again, on the US version, they are listed. I'm guessing to your point, it's it's probably somebody who thought there was they were doing the right thing by putting yeah. their names on the album when, hey, no, not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, really funny. Yeah. Okay, so that's Millie Vanilli, Paramount Plus. Yeah, we both recommend that. Look, let's jump into Boiling Point, uh, a drama on BBC First, four episodes. It was originally commissioned as five episodes. I'm not sure what happened. They've ended up just making four. It's a spin-off of, I think, the 2021 movie, Boiling Point, which I actually haven't seen. But, gee, I love this. I had to watch, because we had the the... The preview access, I could watch them all, and I did. I just had to watch all four. It's fascinating. I hated it. Oh, it's taken me all year, and finally we found the British series that has broken me. I wow. just sat there with my arms folded going, why am I watching this? Okay, so here's my thing. 
Yeah. I'm not interested in restaurants. So I get really, really bored with, you know, chefs screaming at underlings in the, and people getting their hands burned and all that. I find that really boring. Also, I find it really boring to be watching a British version of The Bear, which is, you know, the big chef show on Disney Plus. Um, I was kind of like, oh, I feel like this is kind of similar to that. And, you know, I look at Stephen Graham and he's a great actor and I want to watch it, but he's doing Stephen Graham again, which is, you know, this, you know, I want Stephen Graham to do a comedy. I'm so tired of him doing all these dramas. And I just sat there going, zero interest. When it finished, I was like, I'm not even going to watch a second episode of that. That's how much I hated it. Wow. Tough crowd. Wow. But you did like The Bear, didn't you? Yeah, but, you know, interestingly enough, I've never finished the second series. Remember we talked about that amazing Christmas episode where Jamie Lee Curtis played the mother, and I was like, that was so interesting. I want to watch that episode again and then continue yeah. watching it. And I just have never had time to go back and finish it. There are certainly similarities between the two. Um, Vinette Robinson is Carly, who runs the restaurant in The Boiling Point. She's a yep. bit like Carmi in The Bear. Lots yeah. of troubles, juggling lots of things. The restaurant's not doing that well financially. There's an investor looking over her shoulder, <clears> as Carmi has in um, The Bear. And then Stephen Graham is Andy, the chef in this. Uh, his sort of counterpoint character in The Bear was Richie, although Richie wasn't a chef. He was sort of the manager of the restaurant. But, again, big personal problems. Um very fractious relationship with other members of the staff. So there's sort of lots of interesting things. But look, I, look, Stephen Graham, look, just keep what you're doing, Mr. Graham. Uh, don't listen to Mikado. Uh, 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 I don't want you uh, singing and dancing in a comedy or a musical. Uh, uh, I don't want him to sing and dance, stuff. but I'd, I'd love to see him, like, you know, when Peter Mullen did that great turn in Mum, the sitcom, and it just reminds me, oh, you don't have to be the hard guy all the time. You, you can't play this lovely man, you know, it's like that's all. I just think, I I just see Steve Graham get so tortured in these dramas all the time. But he, he doesn't really, because in the spoilers here, if you, I haven't seen the movie, but this, you sort of know at the start of this that he ended with a heart attack in the movie. Clearly, yeah. Yeah. Now, you can actually watch the movie for free on SBS On Demand. Oh, right, okay. I certainly want to do now. You've got to sit through some ads if you're really – um, anal about not watching the ads, you can rent it on some of the other streaming platforms, but it's free on SBS On Demand. Yeah, so he doesn't feature a lot in the first episode. He comes in and out. He's dealing with um, his alcoholism. Um, what I didn't realise before this, that he and Hannah Walters are a real-life couple. Oh, I didn't know that. And Hannah Walters has plays the sort of... She plays the motherly character in the restaurant. Yeah. She's actually only in her 40s, but she plays someone with who who seems a bit older, very yes, wise. Yes, she does. Mm -hmm. and yeah, right. And, yeah, it's interesting. I'm looking at her now trying to figure out if I've seen her in other things. And, I mean, I guess I have, but she doesn't really – she doesn't look overly familiar to me. I'm looking at it now and realising that her and – uh, her husband Stephen Graham did Celebrity Gogglebox in the UK. <laughs> wow! So there you go. That's the fun side of Stephen Graham I want to see. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, well, there, that's true. There you go. There's plenty of light there for you. But they actually have their own production company as well, which yep. put this together as a co-pro with uh, another one or two people. Look, the restaurant is called Point North, but it's got it's got such a, a, a wide range of really fascinating characters who work there, all going through individual dramas. You know, one guy sort of locks himself in the bathroom, won't come out. They discover him in a really bad way. They have to deal with that. One of the waitresses sort of wants to be a an actor and she sort of sneaks away for a, an audition. I mean, there's so much going on just beyond the restaurant. Again, look, be careful of what listening to what Andrew said about this because you'd think it's all just about a restaurant. It's not. It's really a, it's about life, you know, and the, all the different things people deal with. But I do. I didn't like see. It. I didn't. When I watched that first episode, there was nobody's life except the poor woman who had to leave the restaurant to go get some milk for her mother. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit. Yeah, that that did take up a lot of that first episode. Yeah, um, a whole lot of rushing around for kind of nothing. Yeah, yeah. But no, look, this really grew on I me, and I really enjoyed it. Four episodes, and I just really had to stay with it. It's on um, BBC First, but I I do love that we can really disagree big time on something. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been waiting all year, and now we finally do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So something that's another drama. Let's go to another drama. A friend of the family is something we don't see a lot. A sort of a new drama on a free to air platform. This time, Seven Plus. Yes, it's um. It's on Peacock in the US, and Seven has yep. a has a, a very strong partnership with uh, NBC Universal, owned by Comcast, and this is a drama from from that relationship. And yep. look, it's really creepy. Oh, is it ever? But it's it's sort of really good. Yeah, look, you know, I saw that it was nine episodes, and I was like, oh wow, <laughs> it's going to have to be good to keep me watching for nine episodes, especially when you got to watch it on Seven Plus. Yeah. And you get those ads. And again, I say, I don't mind ads on a free catch-up service. But that first episode of A Friend of the Family, you're just getting into the really nitty-gritty about what this is about, the really creepy part. And just when it starts getting really creepy, I swear to God, they had an ad break every four minutes. It's like it was. What, what? What do you mean? There's another ad. I just yeah. So the, they kind of jam packed all the ads into the end of it. I guess you know sometimes they kind of want to mm. suck you in with a show, and then they start putting all these ad breaks at the end. So anyway, the ad breaks aside, annoying. I did watch two episodes of this, and I am kind of angry, thinking how the hell am I going to find seven hours to watch the end of this? Because yeah, I didn't want it like this. I didn't want to get sucked into it, but it is just so revoltingly creepy and out there. And, you know, I love Anna Paquin as the mother of yes. this family. I just, oh, she's so good playing this mother. And Colin Hanks as her husband was really great too. So it's like, oh, God, really? I don't know when I'm ever going to find time to finish it all, but I was really good, James. Yeah, now Colin Hanks, son of Tom, is that right? That's him. I never knew. When he was talking, I could hear his voice. I'm going, I know that guy, but I couldn't figure out who it was because of the bald spot in his head. So I had to Google to, oh, God, of course it's Colin Hanks. Yeah, he's very good, I must say. Uh, Jake Lacey is very good as a – so Jake Lacey is a 
befriends the family. So he befriends yeah. um, Colin Hanks and Anna Paquin. And we find out during that first episode, he's got a, a diagnosis for being obsessed with um, in this case, well, let's just girl. say he's he's got um, issue. He's got mental health issues. Yes. Yeah. 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 And and when we say that he is a friend of the family, there's actually two families. You know, it's like they've got this couple, Anna Paquin and Colin Hanks, have got three daughters, and then this family moves in, and they're a husband and wife, and they've got three sons and I think a baby daughter. So it's not like there's this man who lives down the end of the street that worms his way in. The the families seem to spend a lot of time together, but then that father goes does something very very creepy and weird. Yeah, I mean, um, Bob, is, which is Colin Hanks' character, he's, he's never 100% happy. He's always, he feels there's something odd, doesn't he? He tries to keep him at a distance, this guy, as he befriends the family. And, you know, the Mary, his wife, is a little bit more welcoming, but Bob sort of senses that uh, this guy, perhaps not to be, you know, don't let him in too much. Um, there's a bit of a spoiler at the very start of this when you meet the real-life person the story's based on who introduces the series. And wasn't that amazing to see her and, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So it was. But you're right, it's nine episodes. It's, well, it's a big commit. But it it sort of it reinforces how much of this story is yet to play out. Clearly. And you sort of want, how could this have happened? You know, you just, yeah. does the FBI get involved early on? And um, there's just bad advice being given and, um, you know, the creepy friends and family and, you know, wow. And there's sort of religious, there's, you know, they're both in a church, which sort of explains that, you know, why it took a while for them to wake up to what was happening. Yeah, and, this trusting bloody nature that they have. Oh, no, he wouldn't do that. Um, Hello. Yeah, yeah. Again, the attention to sort of period details, wonderful. I love the big old cars they're driving around in and the the sort of the, the family life in the sort of, you know, the it's very white, um, middle-class American family. Yeah big into religion in small town America, but it's sort of wonderfully portrayed. And, um, yep, I, I really enjoyed this. But, again, it's a um, you've got to commit to it, you know. Yeah, it's going to be a long one. And I don't know that it's actually even finished screening in America at the moment. So, you okay. know, I don't know how many episodes Seven have got up, but it seems to still be playing out week by week on Peacock over there. Yeah, I think it, well, just looking here on the um, the release sheet in the US, it said it started on October six, and so you're right, it hasn't finished. Winds up at the end of uh, next week as we record this, about November ten. Yeah, so, um, that's fascinating. So, a friend of the family, seven plus nine episodes, um, and uh, a few of them are up now, but they'll be rolling out, I guess, one a week at least. And yet, time being. It's not getting a huge run on their main schedule, James. When I look at next week, you know, Melbourne Cup Day, a friend of the family, it's screening at 11.20 p.m. at night. And you just go, what? This is like one of your 9 p.m. dramas. This should be on. It's it's well, like they started really in that seven, slot. Yeah, this is it, really something to promote their streaming service, I guess. I guess it is, isn't it? That's They, the, they the, also the throw it on free, free to air. Um, yeah. As a bit of a filler, I guess. I'm not sure. Um, 
There's a couple of couple of different things to end on. Let's start with Night Bloomers. Again, this is on a streaming platform, SBS On Demand. I'm guessing it'll probably be on on their linear channel as well. Tell us yeah, about this. I think it screened on Viceland last Saturday night or so. Okay. Yep. And now it's on SBS On Demand, and it's an anthology series. So it's basically five little 10-minute short films, but they all have uh, – they're all made here in Australia, and they're all sort of Korean horror stories. And so the first one is just this uh, girl played by Ra Chapman who uh, is having a di- uh, dinner party for her sort of Australian friends who kind of make these – jokes about her food and so she goes around the corner to this korean grocer and then kind of ends up in this bizarre situation there with one of the shop assistants and you just go and then boom it's over in 10 minutes you just go what the hell was that and then they're into the next one i found it really interesting i think again i think it's a really great use of sbs's uh multicultural charter to put money into australian drama like this with another cultural group like korean take their genre that they do really well because the koreans love their whole horror stuff and they just have this great little unique one hour series uh that you know you can watch in one evening it's it's halloween it's called night bloomers and uh yeah i really really liked it i've got to say i just didn't think this was for me i thought oh, look i'll watch it andrew's put it on the list let's do him a favor but wow i was really taken in and first thing that impressed me was the production values it's really yeah. slick I'm guessing they did a lot on a on a relatively small budget, but they've made it look really good. And yet, the locations you know, they've kept the stories quite contained, so they're not doing a lot of stuff. But yeah, they're spending the money on their horror effects, which is where they need to spend the money. Like that scary guy in the second short one about the the school kid and the relationship with his father. That was like, wow, that looked really, really, really well done. You know. Yeah, yeah, I've watched the first two, and that yeah, that second one is a young Korean guy, sort of decides to t- take a friend out for a spin in his dad's car while his dad's asleep, and they yeah. get into causes a few problems. But that's really good. That's that's another ten minutes, and it's and they pack quite a lot into that that short time, don't they? They do, don't you? It reminds you, you know, you think back to where you go to like a trop fest or something like that and you're reminded, oh, yeah, short films can be really great, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, I'm re- I, I thought they did a really good job. So, yeah, well done. Uh, I know SBS had their upfronts the other day and they just launched a whole bunch of great shows for next year, got a, a whole bunch of thumbs up uh, articles. But, yeah, this is this is a great use of just doing something short and unique and original. Yep, but it's Night Bloomers, SBS On Demand. You can see that. And look, you can knock it all off in about an hour. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Five episodes. And it it comes at a time when motion pictures is it's ballooning out into two and three hours. And <sighs> you just think sometimes you go, oh, really? Do you know, does it? You Can really you believe all much? this talk about, you know, the that Leonardo, the Martin Scorsese movie is a Killers of the Flower Moon or Flowers of the Killer Moon? I don't want to see it, but it goes for three hours and 40 minutes or something. And there's all this talk about, I have no idea. You have to ask permission from the distributors if you want to put in an intermission. It's like, oh, whoops, forgot to do that when I had 
my cinema. I used to put intermissions into long films all the time. It was like I go up the front and say, does anyone object to an intermission? Everyone wanted a break. No one wants to sit there for four hours straight and watch a movie without a break. Come on. <laughs> Our final uh, program today is the – you thought there was a few strange things already. This one is really um, really a bit out there. Australian epic, a musical doco series, um, I think six episodes. I really didn't think this would be for me. Well, on paper, it just sounds like a disaster in the making, right? A historical music. And you're going, oh, God, what? But then I always thought, too, when I saw who was behind it, when I saw Andrew Hansen and Chris Taylor from The Chaser, I was like, oh, hang on a second. Yeah, I mean, these guys don't do things by half. Um, and of course, it's incredible. I don't know how many episodes you've watched, James, but I've watched two. And I was just so thrilled at the fact that they've pulled it off because they've done something unique and original in Australian TV this year. I had no idea what it was going to be. My fear was that it was going to be a half hour musical. And I was like, how are they going to do that? But they're not doing that at all. What it is, is they pick a story like Stephen Bradbury you know, coming from behind to win gold at the Winter Olympics. And they interview those people that were there. And then they have this kind of cast of actors that then break into musical numbers every now and then as these people are telling their stories, they jump to a musical number. And of course, those musical numbers are well-written, also hilariously funny, funny with all sorts of great sight gags in them. And so you end up learning this great story about Australian history, but with all these funny bits and, and making it extra delightful. And oh, I just had a huge smile on my face all the way through it. Yeah, look, I've got to say I agree that when I saw the um, the guys from The Chaser involved, um, Andrew and Chris, I thought, yeah, well, maybe because he's Andrew did a lot of musical numbers in episodes of The Chaser, which were really he very did. funny. You know, yeah. little songs. Um, they do a bit of corporate work, those guys too, and I've seen them hosting functions. And Andrew often play a play a song in the middle of them hosting an awards night somewhere, and that's always really funny. And yeah, look, I just love this. It's just that first episode, Stephen Bradbury. Just fantastic. I mean, look, there's, there's a few little problems I have, but, you know, it was minor stuff like some of the cutting between shots of the real um, Stephen Bradbury and then Andrew Hansen as Stephen Bradbury. You're going, oh, really? But then it's sort of funny in a way as well. You know, yeah. they just mix it all up and don't follow any rules about, you know, and then they have Stephen's manager the real manager and then a, a lady playing a sort of wacky manager in sort of clips one after the other. And again, that's funny too, you know. Um it's it well what's what's it where it does sometimes it, that is an unsettling effect because in the second episode, which is about Princess Mary, yeah. and every now and then what they do is because they've got actors playing them uh within the story within the story. It's sometimes they use historical photos of the real Princess Mary and then sometimes they use photos of the actress posing for a pretend photo of Princess Mary. So it does get kind of confusing, but you just have to go with it because ultimately it's all very funny. And in the second episode when they do that Princess Mary thing, they do a real Hamilton treatment on the music. It's very funny. 
Um, yeah, very funny. Yeah, no, I liked it. And some they there's a um and some they've picked really interesting subjects to do, I think, haven't they? You know, so Stephen Bradbury, I mean, everybody knows the Stephen Bradbury story, or I thought I did, right? But you actually learn a lot in this because he's I learned so much. You know? I learned so much. I had no idea some of those stories that he told. Yeah, and look, I love the interviews with real people. Tracy Holmes, who sadly just uh, quit I the know. ABC on the weekend. Oh, um, that's so sad. He's interviewed. One of my favourite broadcasters, not everybody's, but Basil Zemplis from Perth, he's yeah. interviewed. He was calling the race for seven. Um, yeah. So it's fascinating to to hear what he says. And um, it's just some amazing stuff coming up. Mary Donaldson's the second one. Um, Johnny Depp. Uh, is one of the other episodes, and Chappelle Corby. Wow. Yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to watch that one. So, yeah, look, it's so interesting. I think that I think this will be on my best stops for the year because this is kind of like everything I love. It's Australian history. It's a musical. It's a comedy. All the great genres of Australian TV that I love so much, these are all of those in one show. So it's impossible for me not to like it. Yeah, and you're right. It was a, it's a recipe for disaster. It shouldn't work. And kudos for the ABC for commissioning this because yeah. you can imagine these guys coming out and they made it with Princess Pictures, which is um, best known, I guess, as the, the original home of Chris Lilly for yeah. those, those series he made years ago. But you can imagine coming them out of the commissioning meeting going, hey, we actually got a green light. And guess what? They won six episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that's so interesting about it being, so, you know, this kind of original concept is I keep looking at all these things that are happening everywhere else on free-to-air TV, and every concept is sort of eating everybody else. It's like Love Island's starting again, and they're like going, oh, this is this is just like Married at First Sight. And then Big Brother starts on Monday night. They're like, oh, we're doing a real Love Island thing inside the Big Brother house. It's like, oh, all of these reality show concepts all bleeding into each other's shows. And then you get something that comes out that's just like, oh, we've just mashed up a whole bunch of genres, but it's something fresh and different. It sure is. Okay, Australian Epic, six episodes on the ABC and on iView. Um, as we wrap up this week's episode, I've finished a couple of things, Andrew. Oh, yeah. We talked about payback the other week. Yes. See, I finished all of those, and we talked about how it was criticised for perhaps a, a plot that was a bit tricky to follow. But wait till you get to that fourth episode. Wow. it's um, well, Is there a twist? Yeah, well, there is, but you're sort of left a bit wondering the sort of oh. questions you go, oh, did did this happen really in the first episode and what does this mean? So it does leave you a little bit, um, I could say confused. I mean, it's sort of good. And I've read a bit about it, the commentary, since it's just finished in the UK and there was a lot of commentary on that last episode. But it, it's sort of what happens, it, there's there's no real surprises. What you thought happened did happen. But yeah. it does it does leave you wondering, you know. So I sort of like that about the drama. That it's not all wrapped up too too neatly. It does leave you sort of thinking, which I think is good. So yeah. uh four episodes, I think that was in payback. We talked about that um two weeks ago. Oh no, six episodes there is, and it's on Britbox. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's that's a really good and I've 
look, I've got to mention it again, sorry, but it, it's finished for good, billions, all right? Ah, ah, that's it. The final episode's gone to air? The last episode ever, okay? Now, I'm going to say a couple of things. If you haven't watched it and you don't really – I'll try not to have spoilers, but I've, I'll there'll be semi-spoilers, so maybe stop the episode here. But, right. wow, did they do a good job? Oh, mate. They they said the penultimate, penultimate episode, they set it up as if it was all over for Axe and his gang, right? They they looked like they'd lost. It was sort of – it's not good versus evil. It's sort of evil versus evil, if you like. <laughs> but it looked like – the team everybody would have been rooting for was going to be washed up. The the um and Mike Prince would win and become US president, right? Um and then the first, the final episode, wow, flipped it all over. Okay. And did they I won't go into too much, but gee whiz, for fans that have stayed the distance, they delivered big time. Yeah. That's so good to hear. You want to hear that. You want to know when a show finishes that the long-term fans who've yeah. stuck with it to the end, they need to be satisfied. Absolutely. So not they tidy up all the plot points just beautifully, you know. Everything is wrapped up in the neatest of bows for every character. That's about the first 45 minutes of the last hour. Then the last quarter of that episode, they then go and set up all the characters each one by one for how their future might go, you know? Oh. It's just so good. Um, it's just a really wonderful episode. And, I, you know, I've talked about some memorable, um, the affair. I talked about the affair, the final episode. They had that, the Water Boys. What's that song, The Heart of the Moon? Um, mm-hmm. the, a very long version that dragged out across and it was just wonderful. I talked about the final episode of Vikings, I think, that was on SBS, and they ended with a Rolling Stones song, <laughs> and a couple of the characters just there looking out into a fjord. Um, that was wonderful. But this is another classic final episode, just just really brilliantly done. Um, the producers have been talking a little bit. They were, I've talked about the possible um, spin-offs. One was going to be called Trillions. Another yeah. one was going to be called Millions. Yeah. So there's still a possibility, I think. The producers didn't want to say too much um, when sort of they were questioned about it, but there's still a possibility. So there could be something there in the future for fans of the characters and the the writing, uh, the talent, the creatives who put together billions. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, uh, a reminder that's on Stan, of course. Yeah, right. I haven't finished anything, James. I got volume six of the box as a preview from Crawford's DVD, so that's what I did all weekend. The list of shows that I haven't finished gets longer and longer. But I do want to point out um, next Tuesday, November the 7th, which is Melbourne Cup Day, um, if you're at that function, make sure you've got your TV tuned to the right channel because it's Channel 10 that screens the Melbourne Cup. But Channel 7 doing something sneaky again, James. They do horse racing, but they do it from Royal Randwick and Eagle Farm Brisbane. So they do this day, but they don't screen the Melbourne Cup. But I seem to remember that last year they did something cheeky like that and people missed the Melbourne Cup because they had their channel on TV tuned to Channel 7 and the Melbourne Cup never plays there. So, yeah, make sure... You don't miss the race. Channel 7, very cheeky. Okay. A couple of big things coming up this month. Um, the final season of um, 
the crown drops in a couple of weeks. Yep. And something I'm quite intrigued about is Baz Luhrmann's far away downs. Oh, He's yeah. gone back into the editing room for the movie uh, Australia and um, don't know if you like a, an extended, extended cut. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this one, James. Tell me when it's there. We'll just yes. devote a whole podcast to it. I think we probably should. So it's going to be on Disney Plus towards um, later in November. So, yeah, we'll definitely look at getting into that one in a big way. Um, my show of the week, look, I'm going to have to go boiling point. I'm sorry. You're going to have to go boiling point. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. What's your choice? Oh, well, it's not going to be boiling point, is it? I think it's going to be Australian epic. Well, I think the you, musical, you I might can't... be in your best for the years. You sort of have to. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be that one. I was just having a, I just want to go back through the list and make sure. Yeah. It's definitely Australian epic, my show of the week. Yeah, so mine's boiling point. I'll give Australian Epic a special shout out though, because it's um, it's pretty, it's pretty good. What's well, very good, yeah. All right, Andrew, thank you for that. Uh, Thanks, James. Read Andrew's columns every Friday at Media Week, MediaWeek.com.au, and our daily Media Week morning report. We'll be back to talk to you about some more TV gold in seven days. <laughs>